Colossians chapter 2. Uh, and if you will make the effort to turn to Colossians chapter 2, almost all of the lesson is going to be taken from this book. So the book of Colossians, and we'll begin reading in the second chapter, uh, beginning in verse 1 here in just a moment. So Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Thank you for being here, for all who have chosen to be here this morning. We are so grateful for your presence, uh, whether in person or whether you're joining us online. We're, we're appreciative for your interest in spiritual things and your desire to worship God. And, and my hope is the things that, that I share from God's Word this morning will be helpful to you in being more who God has called you to be and encouraging you and building you up uh, to live as we have been called as Christians. With that in mind, the concept of the elevator pitch uh, is often used in sales, but it applies to anyone who wants to explain something clearly and succinctly. Can you say what you need to say, and the one to whom you're talking about it and talking to understand it correctly in the time it takes to ride an elevator from your floor to the lobby? There's an old saying among those who give speeches. Um, it's attributed to everyone from Mark Twain to Woodrow Wilson, but it was, my, uh, it was likely said by Woodrow Wilson, who was famous for his short speeches. It goes like this. If you want me to speak for 10 minutes, I need two weeks to prepare. If you want me to speak for an hour, I'm ready to go now. And there's some truth to that, I tell you, as a preacher. The reality is, it is much more difficult to express a concept clearly and succinctly than to just go on and on and on until you've covered everything with a big enough avalanche of words to finally get your point across. A concise and precise explanation requires better understanding on the part of the one who is explaining. A sharper grasp of the subject thoughtfully communicated in such a way that it can be easily understood. With the elevator pitch in mind, I ask you the question this morning, what does it mean to be rooted and built up in Christ? Now, our congregational focus for this year is rooted and grounded, and we're rooted and grounded in a number of different things, but our emphasis this quarter was on being rooted and grounded in Christ. And so I ask again, what does it mean to be rooted and grounded or built up in Christ? Now, the answer to that should be so obvious. It should be simple, shouldn't it? We've been studying topics related to this all quarter long in both sermons and our Wednesday night Bible classes. Surely we know what we're studying. Surely I do. I mean, I've been doing most of that teaching. But as I thought about this question, I realized that answering it in a clear and succinct way, the elevator pitch, if you will, was more difficult than I thought. Could you answer that question in just a few quick sentences? Now, I know most of those who are here this morning are Christians, and if I gave you enough time to explain and examine and explore what it means to be rooted and built up in Christ, I have no doubt that you could give me a very good and very thorough answer. But could you explain what that means in a succinct and precise way. It's harder than you think, right? 
So, as I always do when I'm somewhat stumped by something, I turn to the scriptures where that phrase is used, and I settled on Colossians chapter 2, in the first 10 verses there in Colossians chapter 2, especially verses 5 through 10, to explain what it means to be rooted and built up in Christ in a clear and concise way. Our goal this morning is to wrap up this quarter by expressing clearly what it means to be rooted and built up in Christ and then make some applications to our life. So let's read together, beginning in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 1. If you'll read along with me. Paul says, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He says, I want you to know things. I want you to know the most important things, and especially I want you to know about God, and I want you to know both the Father and Christ when it comes to God. Verse 4, now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with pervasive, persuasive words. Um, There are going to be some people out there who are going to try and confuse you, try and persuade you, try and change your understanding of God in Christ. And so in verse 5, he really gets down to the basics. And this is what I want us to see this morning. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, even in the writing of this letter, of course, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, but not according to Christ. For in Him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him, who is the head of all principality and power. So being rooted and built up in Christ is seen very clearly in this text. If you're, if you're paying close attention, he talks about these things that are in Christ. And so if we are rooted and built up in Christ, I think we can summarize it by these four things that are illustrated by the rest of the book of Colossians. Being rooted and built up in Christ is, first of all, to have faith in Christ. Read verse 5 with me again. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see what? Your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. If we're going to be rooted and built up in Christ, we first have to believe that he is who he claims to be. And really, that's uh, to a large degree what the first chapter of Colossians is all about, the preeminency of Christ. You've got to see Christ for who it is that he really is. Let me give you just a couple of examples of this in Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. After this very brief introduction and greeting, this is the very first thing that the Apostle Paul wants to say to the church in Colossae. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you 
since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints. And if you drop down just a little further in this same chapter, drop down to verse 15, for example, he describes Christ in these terms. He, Jesus, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He has preeminence. Why? For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having been made peace through the blood of his cross. What is Christianity about? What is the heart of Christianity? There are all kinds of wonderful and glorious things about being a Christian. There are all sorts of doctrinal matters that are absolutely important. But if you want to talk about the heart of Christianity, it is Jesus Christ. It is Jesus as he is Jesus in all of his splendor, Jesus in all of his grandeur, Jesus in all of his submission, Jesus in all of his suffering, Jesus in all of his humility. I believe, I believe with all of my heart that Jesus really is who he claimed to be. That's where the roots, my foundation of faith begins and, and this is not an uncertain belief for me. I am convicted. My faith is ordered, it is steadfast, it is solid. If I am to be rooted and built up in Christ, it must be those things. Now don't misunderstand me. I, I don't know everything. I have devoted a large portion of my life to studying and presenting the Word of God. But there is so much that I don't know. There is so much that I know that I am uncertain of. I don't know everything. Far from it. But I am settled and ordered when it comes to Jesus Christ. I know who he is, and I have accepted who he claims to be. And conviction about that changes a person. It has ramifications for us. If we truly believe that God came and lived and suffered and died as a man on earth for our sins, that changes us. That means that there is a holy and righteous God out there who has expectations for me, who gave himself for me, who demands and deserves from me reverence and obedience. And so being rooted and built up in Christ is, first of all, to have faith in Christ. And in some ways that's a summation of everything that we're going to say next, but I think there are some distinctions that we can make right here in our text in Colossians chapter 2. It is to have faith in Christ, but it is also to receive Christ Jesus the Lord. Now some translations say, receive Christ Jesus the Lord. Others, like the NIV says, receive Christ Jesus as Lord. And, and I think both of those communicate the same idea. We're going to have to receive Christ Jesus in these ways. I receive him into my life as everything he is supposed to be in my life, summed up in that phrase, Christ Jesus the Lord. 
Now, this is a vital step in being rooted and grounded, rooted and built up in Christ. There are so many out there um, motivated by different reasons, uh, some in sincerity, some in insincerity, uh, but all deception coming from the devil. There's so many out there who, give, who are giving us a different picture of Christ than what he really is. We're warned about that. If you want to mark your spot in Colossians, turn back with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Again, this is the Apostle Paul writing, and he says, beginning in verse 2 of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband that I might present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So you are supposed to have faith in Christ, you have received Christ and this relationship with Christ. And Paul says, I'm jealous for you. Christ is supposed to be the one to whom you have committed yourself. But I fear, verse 3 he says, but I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. This is the same fear that he had about the church in Colossae in chapter 2, that somebody's going to deceive you with these persuasive words according to all of these other things. He says, I fear somebody's going to take the simplicity that is in Christ and deceive you. 4, verse 4, for if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. You might accept it. You might receive something other than the genuine article. Uh, he speaks here of another Jesus. Put it in terms of percentages. How much, how much different than the genuine article does it have to be to be another Jesus? Is 90% of Jesus another Jesus? Yeah. 95%? 99%? We need 100% purity on who Jesus is. We need the real, genuine article. I can tell this story now because the preacher who preached the funeral has, has passed from this life. Uh, so I've been hanging on to this illustration for a lot of years. It goes back to when I was 10 years old. I don't remember it myself, but this is one of those stories that have been in my family for a long time. My great-grandmother, uh, Granny, we called her, uh, passed away when I was, when I was 10 years old. Uh, she lived a very, very interesting life. She did not become a Christian until much, much later in life. Uh, she lived into her 80s, and that was like a, a miracle of modern medicine, I think, or her strong constitution with all that she had been through. And if you know my family, I come from a family of crazy people. Granny was the craziest of all of them, okay? And so this funeral was preached uh, about her, and all of my dad and his brothers... They were all pallbearers at this funeral. And at the head of the casket, as they're carrying her out, there was my dad and my Uncle Alan, who is the brother closest to them. And it must have been quite a sight seeing my dad and my uncle and all of my other uncles laughing so hard they could barely hold the casket as they are walking her out to the hearst. 
Have you ever, have you, have you ever heard of something like that? Here's how it happened. They're walking her out in this solemn, serious moment. And my dad turns to my uncle. And he says of the funeral service, he says, Do you know who he was talking about? And my uncle turns to him and he says, I have no idea. I've never heard of that woman before. Now, I have great empathy for those who have to preach funerals. And this preacher knew my great-grandmother. But the picture that he presented of her at the funeral was not who she really is. Not who she really was. And it was a much less interesting version. There are many people in the world today who want that kind of sanitized by our own um, issues that we have, sanitized version of Jesus. Don't give me the real thing. Don't give me the genuine article. Give me one that's changed just a little bit to be more to my liking, uh, to fit more in this modern world that we see all around us. Give me that Jesus. Give me 90% of Jesus because I'm not sure that I can handle the full 100%. And we have to be so careful if we're going to truly be rooted, if we're going to have a foundation, and if we're going to be built up in Christ, we have to know Christ as He really is. And, and there are a lot of people... Preachers, bloggers, TikTok influencers, writers, whatever, who say all kinds of things that don't fit who Jesus really was. Many people worship a Jesus who never lived. We sing a song, and it's a good song, I love the song, but I think it communicates so well the attitude of our day. It's the song, Do You Know My Jesus? And I understand what that song is talking about. Do you know the, the Jesus that I know, this close and personal relationship that I have with Him? Do you know Him like I know Him? It's a great thought. But those words can be misapplied to apply to our generation. Do you know my Jesus? Because my Jesus is different from your Jesus, and your Jesus is different from somebody else's Jesus, and there are all these Jesuses running around. Do you know mine? Because mine's the best. Because my Jesus is the one most like me. My Jesus is the one who accepts what I want instead of me accepting what he wants. And so we have all these Jesuses. A Jesus who never judges anybody for anything. A Jesus who does judge, but he judges based on all these physical things, these physical characteristics, these physical criteria. There is a Jesus out there who only supports uh, a certain political party. There's a Jesus out there who cared nothing about social issues at all, and yet there's another Jesus who only cared about social issues. It's like his only purpose in coming was to solve all of the problems on earth. Those aren't really Jesus. What they are, are idols that we have made in our own image. And creating our own version of Jesus is a temporary, physical band-aid on an eternal, spiritual problem. We need to know Jesus as He is. And if we sell out for anything less, we are only hurting ourselves. And that's why... We're spending so much time on Wednesday night studying these portraits of Jesus as we see him in the Gospels. We want to see him for who he really is and who he must be to us. 
And he is described here in our text in Colossians using these three words in the verse. He is Christ. He is the anointed one uh, in Greek, Messiah uh, in Hebrew, the same concept. He is this promised Messiah or anointed one. He is God's son. And, and I believe, we must believe, that he is the fulfillment of all of God's plans and purposes going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, that there is going to be a Redeemer who comes to save mankind, to defeat the devil, to defeat sin, to defeat death. And in that word Christ, Messiah, is implied all of those things about Jesus and who he is. We must receive him as Christ. And we must receive him as Jesus. That name that he carried while on earth, it means literally Savior. And that's what he is. That's what he must be to every one of us. He must be our Savior, the one who saves us from our sins. The Savior of the world and my Savior. A perfect sacrifice. And he is the one that we must receive as the Lord. He is my Lord. He is Lord, yes, whether I receive Him or not or acknowledge Him as such or not. He is the Lord. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. He has all dominion. And He's in charge whether I acknowledge that or not. But He must become my Lord, my Master, where I submit my will to do whatever His will is. What do I do to become a Christian? Well, we have some very specific ways that we answer that question, but can I answer it in a, in a much broader sense than what we normally do? What do you do to become a Christian? Whatever Jesus tells you to do. Because he is Christ, the Savior and Lord. What do I do as a Christian? Again, let me answer it as broadly as I can. Whatever Jesus tells me to do. And if we're going to be rooted and built up in Christ, we must receive Christ in just this way, to where He now holds sway over my entire life. And I accept Him for all that He is, those parts that I love and those parts that are more difficult for me to accept in my own life. Colossians chapter 2, uh, if you want to turn back there again, warns in verse 8 that there are going to be some who come along who who try and take away what Jesus is in this way. Beware, he says, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, number one, according to the tradition of men, number two, according to the basic principles of the world, number three. And if it is any of those three things, then he says it is not according to Christ. We can think ourselves right out of believing in Jesus if we're not careful. Uh, Christianity is intended to be a reasonable religion. We are supposed to be persuaded to these things, and yet we can become so high and mighty in our own minds and our own thoughts that we say we don't need Jesus. And so we're cheated out of this relationship with him through philosophy and empty deceit. Maybe it's according to the traditions of men. Maybe it's because this is the version of Jesus that has been handed down from my parents and my grandparents and so on and so forth. How can I accept another version? And it comes back again. Am I willing to accept Jesus as he is? Not as I've been told that he is or I want him to be. And so some are treat, cheated out of the real genuine Christ according to the tradition of men, and, and sometimes it's just according to the basic principles of the world. This thing is the thing I want to do, and I know it's wrong, I know it's sinful, I know Jesus tells me not to, but I'm going to do it anyway, even though it's to my own destruction. 
be rooted and built up in Christ that cannot describe us. When we seek a relationship with Jesus outside of his word by adding to or taking from what he says, what he does, or who he is, we're only cheating ourselves out of the real thing. And so, being rooted and built up in Christ is to have faith in Christ, to receive Jesus Christ as the Lord, and then if we finish the statement in verse 6, it is to walk in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, he's writing to Christians, they've done that, so walk in him. This reception should be revealed in the way that I live. Rooted and built up is, is just slightly different from rooted and grounded, right? That's our theme, rooted and grounded. Both of those things are foundational. The roots of a tree, the foundation of a house. But here in Colossians, what does he say? Not rooted and grounded, he says rooted and built up. So it's foundational, but it's also aspirational. It's not just a foundation and a foundation alone. It's supposed to be built upon. And so this walking, this living in our lives is how we build upon the foundation. As we have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so too we must walk in Him. You know, a foundation without a building isn't anything, really, right? I mean, have you seen that? Have you ever... I think back to 2008 and the big housing crisis and, and all the things that were going on with that. And uh, right at the beginning of that, I was in, I was in Florida where it was kind of hit the hardest. And, and these things were starting to crumble a little bit. There were cracks showing around the edges. And you would drive through these neighborhoods with all of these foundations and no houses. They began to build and were not able to finish. That's another lesson for another day. But a foundation without anything built upon it really doesn't do anybody any good, right? And so we have this foundation. We're supposed to be being built up in Christ as we live and walk. A foundation is just the hope of something until it's built upon. And we can say we believe in Christ. We can even call him Lord but until we live in response to that belief, we don't really have faith that is rooted and built up in Him. And there is no more vivid picture for this reality than James chapter 2 and verse 26, which is written to Christians, just like the book of Colossians. And James 2, 26, uh, this is, what did Josh say, pulling these out of their context. I'm not doing that. The context there is talking about faith and works. And the concluding statement that he makes in this long argument about faith and works and the need for works with faith, he says in verse 26, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. I ran across something uh, that came from the BBC a few weeks ago. This is weird. It shocked me. Did you know in Victorian England, it was common to photograph the recently deceased as if they were alive before they buried? Raise your hand if you'd heard of that before. Lots of you had. I'm, I'm just an ignorant backwoods hillbilly, I guess. I've never heard of that. And this was something that the, uh, that the higher crust society people did, but then it kind of filtered down to everybody else. In the mid-1800s, photography was becoming increasingly popular and affordable, and so it led to what they called memento mori photography. They would take these recently deceased people and they would pose them with family, with friends, doing their favorite activities. Um, I, I thought about putting a picture on the board and it was just too weird. I couldn't do it. 
But in English, we, we have a word for a body without a spirit, don't we? What's that word? A corpse. We call it a corpse. And, and, and rightly so, that's what it is. What is James saying here? James is saying that we can, we can take this body that he calls faith. We can take this body and we can pose it. We can take a pretty picture. We can act like it's alive. But if it doesn't have works, it's not really faith. It's the corpse of faith. And so, to truly be rooted and built up in Christ, it is not enough to just receive Christ Jesus and say, yes, I believe all of these things about Him. We must then walk in Christ and live in Christ. And much of the book of Colossians is, is devoted to that very thing. What does a living faith look like? Uh, allow a, a long reading from Colossians chapter 3. Let's start there in verse 5. Colossians chapter 3, let's start there in verse 5. We could really read the rest of the book of Colossians. Uh, I probably won't go that far, but let's read a few verses together. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 5. Therefore, now he said, you were raised with Christ, you've received Christ, you have the right perspective and attitude, we'll come back to that. Therefore, verse 5, put to death your members which are on the earth. This is the way you're supposed to walk. Fornication uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all of these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. So quit doing all of those things. That's not the way you're supposed to walk or live anymore. But he doesn't stop with just the things that you're not supposed to do. Verse 10, And you have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. If you received Christ, then you need to walk in Christ and you need to look like Christ, the image of him who created him. There is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free. But Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, you stop doing some things, here's some things you need to start doing. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. And above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. And if this transformation of life has taken place and you're now walking in this way, well, then you're going to worship, verses 16 and 17. You're going to want to do everything according to the will of God, verse 17. It's going to be reflected in your life and your relationships, verses 18 through chapter 4 and verse 1. And on and on and on we could go in this chapter that we have to walk as Christ has called us to walk. Um, I was almost a little more snarky in this lesson when I talked about the elevator pitch and all of that and just said, being rooted and built up in Christ is to have faith in Christ. Because the biblical word faith almost always includes belief, reception, and these works. Walking, 
living. It is living faith that we are supposed to have, and it's living faith we have when we walk in Christ. And then finally, if you go back to Colossians chapter 2, notice um, in verse 10, And you, you who have faith in Christ, you who have received Christ Jesus as Lord, and you who walk in Christ, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power, being rooted and built up in Christ, is to be made complete in him. This is where we find our purpose and hope and direction and belonging. I was incomplete before. There was something missing in my life. But I am complete now in Christ, where all of the holes in our heart and life can be filled with him. And walking in Christ isn't, as we see in this verse, a begrudging walking. If we go back there to verse 7, the the main verse of all of this, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. It is not begrudging, oh, i got to do what Jesus wants me to do. We abound in it with thanksgiving. And this is where our perfection, this is where our completeness is found. If you go back there to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28, what is it that Paul was preaching? He says, Him we preach, Christ we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect, complete in Christ Jesus. It is in Christ Jesus that we can find perfection or completeness. Put it another way, I am who I am supposed to be, who I was created to be when Christ is in me. And I think that's summarized well in what he said. We skipped over this in chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died who you used to be. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, our life, everything that we are, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Brothers and sisters, we need to know some things. We need to know who we are. We need to know where we're going. And we need to know how to get there. I know why I'm here, and I know what I'm supposed to be doing because I am in Christ. I am complete in Him. I am in Him, and He is in me. And someday, I will be perfected in Him. When Christ, who is my life, appears, then I also will appear with Him in glory. Being rooted and built up in Christ. What does it mean to be rooted and built up in Christ? Here's my elevator pitch. You ready? I am convicted that Jesus really is who he claimed to be, and I am steadfast in that faith. When I became a Christian, I received Christ on his terms as the promised Messiah, my Savior, and my Lord. And now I live my life following his direction and imitating his steps, which gives me purpose, direction, belonging, and hope as you step out of the elevator. Now, you were just seeing if I was going to get done in time, weren't you? So I'm going to read that one more time. 
I'm going to read that one more time because this, brothers and sisters, is everything we are. I am convicted that Jesus really is who we claim to be, and I am steadfast in that faith. When I became a Christian, I received Christ on his terms as the promised Messiah, my Savior, and my Lord. And now, I live my life following his direction and imitating his steps, which gives my life purpose, direction, belonging, and hope. I hope that's you too. I hope you're rooted and built up in Christ. If it isn't, if you're not yet a Christian, do you believe that Jesus really is who He claimed to be? Then receive Christ Jesus as your Lord. Enter into a covenant relationship with Him. How? Well, those are the very next verses in Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. In Him you also were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. They entered into that covenant by circumcision. That was the, the sign of the covenant. Well, what about for us? Buried with Him in baptism, in which you also were raised with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He is made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Receive Christ Jesus as your Lord in this way, so that you might then walk in Him and be complete in Him. And if you're already a Christian this morning, the next step is to be rooted and grounded in the faith. And that's what we're going to talk about next quarter. Do you know the teaching of Jesus so that you can walk in Him? I pray that you do. And if there is something that we can do to help you in walking in Christ, even this morning, won't you come now while together we stand and while we sing? Jesus, the love